0: Market Journal Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. Coming up on today's show, we'll talk the cattle markets with Mike Briggs. We also bring some tips to you when it comes to dealing with those pesky grasshoppers. And as always, we'll review what's ahead when it comes to regional weather. That's a look at what we have coming up on the show. But first, winter wheat harvest continues all across the heartland. Once wheat is cut, it's important to control volunteer wheat. On average, there are three inches of soil water loss from weeds, of course, including volunteer wheat, when not controlled in the wheat stubble. Plus, volunteer wheat can provide a bridge for certain diseases. Market Journal's Mike Strub brings us this story.
2: This year, given the widespread
3: pre-harvest hail in the wheat-growing regions of Nebraska, it is very important to take measures that will minimize risk of wheat streak mosaic in next year's winter wheat crop. I always remember several years ago, got a call on Friday afternoon, and this farmer said his wheat crop was really deteriorating. And I got thinking, well, it could be some insect or some disease that we can control, so maybe I better take a look at it. And I got close to the field, and oh, yeah, that looks like wheat streak mosaic. Checked it out and so forth, and got a hold of the farmer. And I said, yeah, you got wheat streak mosaic really bad in this half section, the complete half section field. I said, You guys must have had a hailstorm out here just about harvest time. He said, Yeah, across the road, the neighbor had a good hailstorm and destroyed most of the wheat. It was pretty powerful hair. And then I says, And he didn't control it after the volunteer, did he? No, he used it for grazing and so forth. And uh, that made a awful expensive. Uh, grazing for the farmer next door that lost his half section of wheat. In fact, uh, it made six bushel per acre. It was not economical to harvest. By the time he paid the landlord their share, it actually cost him money on that half section. His regular fields made over 60 bushel that year. So you can see if you have a hailstorm. Uh, close to harvest time and get that early volunteer where the wheat curl mite and the wheat streak mosaic virus have a place to live and then, of course, can infect the wheat that's planted the next fall. Control volunteer wheat and grassy weeds before planting. Volunteer wheat, especially that which emerges before harvest because of a hailstorm, poses a high risk of wheat streak mosaic and other wheat curl mite transmitted virus diseases. At harvest time or after harvest, uh, we'll want to control the other weeds as well as the volunteer wheat. And to show how important that is, We figure on the average, if you do a good job of controlling the weeds after winter wheat harvest uh, with herbicides, not tillage, that you'll save an additional three inches of water. How much is that three inches of water to the next corn or sorghum crop that is planted in the wheat stubble? Usually about 36 bushel. In other words, the three inches, about every inch is worth about 12 bushel of corn or grain sorghum out there. So you can see and and we probably have some people this year that may want to pasture that uh, stubble because of the uh, shortage of grass, but it's so expensive to do that when you figure you're going to lose maybe 36 bushel on the next crop that uh, it's probably not the best thing out here in dry western Nebraska most years. A few changes to the combine, making sure you spread out any crop residue can mean a better suppression of post-harvest weeds, reducing the chances of disease. Make sure you set the combine really careful and so forth. And then the other thing we found out, it's really important to spread that chaff. Uh, that is because, and I know we've seen this over the years, where you get a concentration of the uh, volunteer wheat or the wheat the small kernels and so forth that might be going to the combine. If you get a lot of that right directly behind the combine, it's harder to control than where you spread it out because density does make a difference. If you have a lot more weeds and, and the same thing goes to the weeds that go through the combine. If you've got a concentration behind the combine, they'll be harder to control. So it's really important to spread those, that chaff through the combine. The other thing, what we really like out here, is stripper headers to maintain that crop residue. We find that crop residue is really, really important to our next corn or sorghum crop. And we had a farmer call me and he says, my brother-in-law and I were flying over our fields. And we came to this one field and half of it was greener than the other half. And that didn't make any sense because we planted the same hybrid all the way across the field. We fertilized it the same. So we landed and went over to the field. Oh yeah, on half the field, we took the straw spreader off and bailed the windrow straw. Well, this was a pretty good year in Southwest Nebraska. And so we measured what the yield was uh, on that part that they removed the straw spreader and bailed the windrow of straw. It made 97 bushel, and we went over to where they left the straw spreader on. Spread the crop residue. It made 117. It cost them 20 bushel, and the farmer says, "You know, I never got the value of 20 bushels of corn off where I uh, removed the uh, the uh, straw spreader." and be able to windrow straw and so forth. And that's about really true that that uh, crop residue is so valuable. So you want the most uh, straw you can have out there. So if you have an 80 bushel wheat crop, man, this is just ideal as compared to a 30 or 40 bushel wheat crop because you have a lot more residue out there. Control pre-harvest volunteer wheat in wheat fields and summer crops before planting winter wheat this fall
2: and make a few adjustments to the combine to maximize yields in the future. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm
1: Good stuff there Mike, we do appreciate that story. If you're interested in learning more about the importance of controlling volunteer wheat post-harvest, Bob has an in-depth article on that topic. You can find that at cropwatch.unl.edu. Well, certain areas of the state are seeing lots of these this year. Grasshoppers are out and they can certainly become an annoyance for you personally but in crops and pastures, they could become a threat to your bottom line. Bill Dodd has this story.
2: Grasshoppers can be detrimental to a row crop operation, and the same can be said for the pastures of livestock producers as well. According to USDA data based on the 2022 adult grasshopper survey, it was determined that 10 counties in Nebraska had fall grasshopper numbers averaging over 15 per square yard. This data pointed to a potential problem for the summer of 2023.
4: And we had 10 counties in uh, the west central part of uh, Nebraska and, and the panhandle that did have uh, adult grasshopper uh, numbers over, averaging over 15 per square yard and that is a, a red flag. So um, we actually have a couple producers in Grant County that have seen high Uh, immature or uh, nymphal numbers, grasshopper numbers. Now, um, not every location will have high numbers, but especially where you see those little red areas on the map, those are warning signs that you need to be observant. But I I do know that uh, there's a couple of producers in Grant County and maybe even in Sherry County that are looking very seriously at at their population numbers.
2: Typically, Treatments for grasshoppers should be completed no later than July 1st. And while it may be too late in the season to treat pastures for grasshoppers, if left unchecked, these pests can cause damage that would take a great deal of time to recover from.
4: Give you an example, a, a, a gra- an adult grasshopper can uh, consume 50% of its weight per day. So over time, if you, if you get a high enough population, Uh, they can consume enough forage to equal that of of one one cow. And it's it's especially problematic where uh, you didn't get uh, grass production the previous couple years, and the pastures were grazed pretty hard. And that's where the impact will certainly be the greatest, uh, because they can consume quite a bit, and you don't want to... When they start reducing 50% 50 of the plant, that's when you've got real problems. We only like to see 25%
2: loss of that plant. While the lack of rainfall in the past year has been conducive to grasshopper populations thriving in these localized areas, there is some hope that the recent rains that have fallen on western Nebraska could offset some of the feeding damage done by these insatiable swarms.
4: So this phenomenon is generated by weather. We had a a, a series of of three years of very dry conditions out west here, which really increases the the likelihood of seeing grasshopper populations increase. They like a very uh, dry environment, less than 30 inches of moisture per year. So historically, the western part of Nebraska has always been a a prime uh, situation for uh, pasture grasshopper development. Not as bad as it was in 2010, 11, and 12, and hopefully with all the moisture we received here in the last 30 to 40 days, uh, you know, grass production will certainly increase and help offset some of the feeding damage caused by uh, the grasshoppers.
2: As it stands, there are 50 species of grasshoppers in Nebraska rangelands, though fewer than 10 species have ever reached economic levels. However, as the summer months continue on, it would be a good idea to keep a close eye on those grasshoppers in your pasture. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Bill Dodd.
1: All right, thank you for that story, Bill. If you'd like to learn more about grasshopper populations and control methods in your pastures, you can visit the website beefwatch.unl.edu it is once again time to turn our attention now over to the markets he's one of the most requested guests that we have here on the market journal on wednesday we traveled out to seward to catch up with our friend mike briggs from briggs speed yard here is mike's thoughts on the cattle markets mike good to have you on the program thanks what do we got going today well we still have record prices to talk about live and feeder cattle how long do you think this could last
5: i think long for could go along for quite a while for two reasons one i think the economy is on Fairly solid footing. We still have poor leadership in Washington, so who knows what's gonna happen there, but I think the economy's on fairly solid footing and nothing has changed fundamentally. And More feeder cattle are not just gonna show up next year. They're not there. We didn't have enough moisture soon enough, I believe. It's gonna be interesting to see how many people retained heifers so that maybe in another year we can have more calves, but there's not gonna be more calves next year. So the actual supply of feeder cattle and therefore beef really isn't going to change very
1: much as a feedlot owner is it tough to find cattle you're wanting to buy at these prices
5: oh you can find them you just can't afford them i mean it's it's just ridiculous what's going on right now nobody ever imagined prices getting this high i shouldn't say nobody but it's just surprising how you've taken feeder cattle over 250 on the board and you've you've got fat cattle up here You know we're getting close to two dollars a pound live and at times we have gotten it if you gridded the cattle so the price of cattle is amazing to us i think sometimes cattle feeders are their worst enemy when it comes to oh they'll never pay that for that they'll never pay for meat that that's that's at that price they keep doing it so i think we need to maybe quit beating ourselves down and maybe pat
1: ourselves on the back
5: a little bit because we have improved our product and we have a solid demand
1: base now that's a good segue for a topic I wanted to bring you up. The price of the, the beef cutout price, I should say, dipped a little bit. Darren Newsom, who comes on the program regularly, shared a, a graphic of that. Is that seasonal, or perhaps a uh, indicator of things to come on the economic front?
5: Absolutely seasonal. It happens every year. You have that kind of cutoff at the Fourth of July is your last kind of beef holiday again until Labor Day, and we kind of swoon in there. We make a little make a little run up when they're picking up their their Labor Day supply. And then after Labor Day, it tanks again on us and then it runs hard into the end of the year. I don't see that, I don't see the seasonal changing. I, the dips aren't gonna be as big. Okay. The dips aren't gonna be as big. They're not gonna last as long. And I think I still think this thing powers into the end of the year. Now we have seen placements. I've been pretty bullish December for quite a while, fourth quarter. we am gonna have to temper that a little bit because we've seen pretty good placements back against that so maybe that won't get as wonderful as i was hoping for but you can see in the deferred futures next
1: April's way up there had a couple of viewer questions come in this week want to get to scott's question he, he noted the noise around more packing facilities this is obviously the loudest when it comes to when prices are, are not where they are like that we see today do you still see some momentum for perhaps the independent processor out there to be able to build a facility that is, that is a great question.
5: We discussed that on one of my conference calls today. And a lot of us that have seen this several times, we tried investing money in a packing plant once. Of course, that money's gone forever. This packing plant deal, the government allowed these packers to consolidate and get so big that they have such a chokehold on this deal, it's really hard for new entry. And unfortunately, like you said, the impetus to build a new packing plant is when the cattleman is getting the dog beat out of him, and prices are terrible. Well, by the time they get the thing constructed, the cycle has changed, and now it doesn't make any sense, and that's exactly what's gonna happen with these plants in in uh, North Platte, and the one they're trying to build in either Missouri or Iowa. I just, either it's not gonna happen, or if it does happen, it's probably gonna fail, because until we see a change in the cattle supply, there's not gonna be enough cattle to go around, and those big four are not gonna let Johnny come lately have any cattle, it's just right. the way it's gonna be.
1: We'll keep an eye on that for sure. You think about wet corn yet?
5: Yeah, that's a good question also. I'm a little bit concerned. I know my my family, my farmers say that our dry corn corn's gonna be nothing. So they're like, I don't know how much corn we're gonna have to put in the high moisture pit because we'll probably cut all of our commercial corn for silage because roughage is so high so we just have to put up more silage. So I'm going to have to be buying a lot of corn in the neighborhood to fill the pits. I'm going to be interested to see what this does. This has been a very interesting week in corn. I think from this week, from when we started, I think corn's up 60 cents. So it's moved pretty hard, pretty fast. We'll see where it goes. I know all the stuff with the, the grain, um, the grain portal out in you know, Ukraine. That's kind of a problem right now. We have some really hot, dry weather coming in, and I don't know if there's enough subsoil for this crop to get through that, and how long is that hot and dry going to last? You know, it could still fry all these crops, and we'd be right back in the frying pan again. So I'm a little bit concerned about it, so it may be a situation like it was last year where we put up a lot of high moisture corn, so we've got control of the corn, irregardless of price.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, well, you always leave us with with some wise words of inspiration uh, (laughs) about the markets, particularly on the kettle front. What would you like to leave us with?
5: I want the feed yard guys to keep fighting. We finally got the stick. I say we use it. Uh, The the packer had the stick for a long time. It's going to be interesting to see what the packer does. Everybody wants to say that, well, this year's going to be like 215. It's not because they can't close packing plants anymore. If they do, it'll be a real shock to me. They, yeah, they can drop their hours to 32 and stop Saturday kills, and that's probably what's going to happen. I don't even know if there's enough cattle for that. So I think, I think the cattle feeder's in the driver's seat for a little bit. Just wish you wouldn't be so glassy-eyed when you went to the sale barn to buy feeder cattle. But anyway.
1: <laughs> Thanks for the time, Mike. We always Thank appreciate you. it. It's always entertaining when we have Mike here on the show. I do want to note, we didn't have enough time on the broadcast to include our full conversation, but we'll post that over on the Market Journal YouTube page. Coming up next week, we'll be joined by Luke Beckman from Central Valley Ag. As always, we invite your questions here on the program. Feel free to email us, and I'll pass your question along to Luke. Well, anyone who spends time in the sun without proper protection can develop skin cancer. Farmers and ranchers are in one of the most high-risk categories, in fact. That is the bad news, but there is good news out there, and that's that we can do things to mitigate exposure. That includes applying water-resistant sunscreen, wearing wide-brimmed hats, work clothing choices, and more. You'll learn more about ways to protect yourself from skin cancer in the July issue of The Nebraska Farmer. Well, up next, we get a check on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt eric it is july so i imagine we're going to see some hot weather here in the next few days but let's start with an updated look at the drought monitor
6: well thank you bryce we do indeed have some heat coming in the next week uh, but let's first start off with a look at, the look at the drought monitor so some good news report here we've actually seen more eradication of exceptional drought across parts of east central nebraska so york geneva you are now in d3 still bad but a little bit of improvement we've also seen improvement to severe drought across the omaha metro area Unfortunately, we still see D4 uh, across up near West Point and that area kind of between Aurora and Fullerton. So in addition to most places actually starting to pick up some decent precipitation in the last three weeks, we actually have seen you know, fairly cool temperatures for the last two or three weeks. Uh, so these are monthly departures from, uh, from normal across, you know, across the U.S. and a lot of the central U.S. has been fairly cool the last three weeks. Uh, We've seen a ridge over the southwest and west and troughing kind of the central part of the country and we've seen cooler temperatures. That is about to change though. So what we're going to see is that ridge, which has been placed mostly across Texas, you know, in the southwest, is going to start moving toward the east-northeast, probably set it over the southern high plains. With that's going to come a north and eastward expansion of heat. Now this is a, a risk of hazardous temperatures, so we are going to see some hot temperatures this next week. Uh, I don't think we're looking at record heat, and we're not probably looking at a really rapid warm-up. We're looking at a gradual warm-up, but I'm showing you this is because we are likely to see temperatures well into the 90s with higher dew points. So, heat indices disease next week will likely be in 105, 110 range. The good news is, is we do have somewhat adequate soil moisture across a lot of our region. Um, I'm showing this to basically kind of point out that we have really seen good recharge of the top part of the profile. Um, This is a Mesonet site that's uh, in southeastern Saunders County near the uh, UNL farm. But we probably don't actually have very deep moisture just yet. So I don't know that we have a really strong reserve to get us through two weeks of heat. We probably have enough to get through this next week. So again, uh, the next week we are looking at temperatures well above average across a large portion of the country. Uh, Again, I think we are probably looking at consistently temperatures being in the low to mid to upper 90s. Uh, Maybe some spots will hit 100. Uh, Again, we are looking at things being relatively dry. Now, what I'm looking forward toward the end of this upcoming week and in the early next week is for that ridge to start maybe moving back toward the west and breaking down a little bit. Uh, So it's possible we could actually start seeing a frontal passage come through our area toward the end of this next week, which might actually bring us some precipitation. And you'll notice in this 8 to 14 day outlook that we are looking at, you know, the area of where we're looking at the driest conditions maybe will be shifted to our south a little bit. Uh, Better news as we head into August, this was just released on Thursday, so we are looking at actually uh, probably somewhat below normal temperatures across our region, uh, according to the CPC that is, uh, with above average precipitation. So again, this might be a relatively short lived spell of heat and dry weather. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce.
1: All right, going to get warm, but that's what we get here in the month of July. Thanks for that update, Eric. Finally today, with an influx of rain across some portions of Nebraska, crop diseases should be on the minds of row crop producers. This week we had, a pl- we had the pleasure of catching up with extension plant pathologist Dylan Mangel to see what particular diseases soybean producers should be looking out for. Well, when you're on market, it all means we've got some diseases out there, particularly for soybean fields. So I guess, broadly speaking, this year has been a unique one. Kind of walk us through the growing season you've seen it so far.
7: Yeah, so with the rain showing up, that's when the diseases are gonna show up. So uh, this year maybe a little bit more so than previous years as well, because we had that slow start. Those plants were extremely stressed going into that and they needed the rain and the rain's definitely gonna help the situation out, but it's also gonna fuel those plant diseases that have been sitting out there. So. One of those in particular has just been some of those dormant seedling diseases that didn't happen earlier in the year, uh, but are showing up now as that water's coming. And in particular, Phytophthora is the one that's showing up now.
1: Talk to me more about that. What are you seeing out in the field?
7: Yeah, so typically those spores will lay dormant. As soon as we get a flush of rain, those will wake up. Those will then move to those plants, and within about 10 days, you'll start to see symptoms. And the symptoms you'll see when you go look at those in the field is, is just a wilted plant. If you're walking along and you've got a row that looks good, and then you see a, a gap in that row where, where several plants or a single plant are wilted uh, or starting to dry down, that could typically be Phytophthora showing up, and it's just blocking that water in that plant from moving up. So the plant can't keep up with its water use, and uh, the the dead giveaway for Phytophthora is a brown stem that's going to proceed from the soil surface up two or three nodes. So it'll be a dark brown stem, easiest to identify of the seedling diseases.
1: Is it fairly isolated when you're walking around scouting for it? Or do you see it kind of more widespread in a certain area? Yep,
7: it's going to show up in pockets in the field. If you've got a low area uh, where water may pool, where the ground might stay wet just a little bit longer, that's the best place to scout for it. Uh, that's just the moisture is going to last a little
1: bit longer and give it more time to get to the plants there. One of those things we should be uh, perhaps considering sending in to get tested?
7: Yeah, you can send those plants into the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic. It's very important to identify for certain which seedling disease you have so you can select a, uh, a variety and a, a seed treatment next year that's gonna target that disease specifically.
1: Not much we can do in season about it?
7: You know, the best thing you can do in season is just take good field notes
1: mm-hmm. so you know where to treat next year. Yep, good point. Mm-hmm. All right, something else uh, you brought up to us, white mold, seeing that particularly in Northeast Nebraska this year.
7: Yeah, we're getting calls from growers right now. Uh, with white mold, the plants are most susceptible during flowering, so there's that short window, fortunately, so it's not a, a full season type problem. But if you've got the right conditions while those plants are susceptible, it can really start to show up. And I'm getting calls this year because growers are, they're irrigating earlier than they had in the past, typically during flowering, which is really before that soybean water requirement picks up a lot, but they need to water because they've gotta get that moisture in the ground. There's just nothing there for it and they might not have the capacity to wait. Um, So those calls are just concerns that they're gonna make that problem worse by irrigating. Now with this rain showing up kind of timely, um, that could make the problem worse as well. So we're seeing it in in northeastern parts of the states uh, that are rain fed, but we're also seeing it in irrigated parts uh, in the center of the state where growers have had a field history of it and they know that if conditions are right, it's gonna show up again.
1: That is a pretty big impact on yield, I understand. It certainly can be.
7: Yeah, if you've got those conditions there, if it gets into the flowers, unfortunately, you're not going to see it unless you're scouting very carefully. You might see you might see small mushroom-like structures from the white mold uh, fungus that are going to infect it. But after it infects, around the time of infection, you'll see nothing until later in the season. You'll start to see that rot form in the stem at, at those flower positions where it was infected. So it's uh, you've got to treat in advance of seeing symptoms, which can be difficult.
1: Yeah. So I was just going to ask you about mm-hmm. one of those. Uh, good thing to take notes on, take notes on, and uh, be tracking yep. for an uh, upcoming growing season.
7: Yep, and if you've got yield maps, you can see if you know you've had it in the past, you can see where it was, and those are the areas I'm recommending to focus treatments on.
1: We're going to have you back here on Market Journal on Crop Talk, in particular, coming up here uh, in a week or two to talk about some some later things you'll be seeing in soybean fields. But what else do you want to share with us today? What's tracking? What are you tracking on the fields?
7: Yeah, just watching those diseases with this rain coming. We really don't know what's going to get stirred up out there. Uh, The plants, they're more susceptible than usual because of that early season stress. So scout those
1: fields, watch what's out there and take good notes and plan for next season. As you heard me mention, Dylan is going to be joining us on the program again in the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, if you're looking for some further information when it comes to crop diseases, head on over to the website cropwatch.unl.edu. Well, that is all the time we have for this week's broadcast. If you missed a story, be sure you're following Market Journal on YouTube and on social media to join in on the conversation. We hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a safe and productive week.
0: Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.